Uh, we're starting a new series tonight called Spiritual But Not Religious, and I'm really, really excited about this series because this is a new identifier for people, right? Uh, maybe you have a friend who would identify as this. Maybe you yourself, that uh, you've wandered in, and you would call yourself spiritual but not religious. I hear like you go on dating apps. I don't do it myself anymore, uh, but you uh, that's a common thing someone might uh, say. And so we're going to look at uh, what uh, some values are of a spiritual but not religious person and how those intersect with us. So I want to start off, I found a great definition uh, from a scholar of what a spiritual but not religious person might be. And so listen to this. This might be you, might be somebody you know. Uh, he says this, uh, these, these people feel a tension between uh, their personal spirituality and membership in a conventional religious organization, which is what we would be. Uh, most of them value curiosity, intellectual freedom, an experimental approach to religion. Many go so uh, far as to view organized religion as the major enemy of authentic spirituality, claiming that spirituality is private reflection and private experience, not public ritual. To be religious conveys an institutional connotation, usually associated with uh, Abrahamic traditions, uh, to attend worship services, to say mass, light Hanukkah candles. Uh, to be spiritual in contrast... Uh, connotes personal practice and personal empowerment having to do with the deepest motivations of life. Uh, so that's just a great way to start our series to think about uh, someone who might view themselves as spiritual but not religious. And what we want to do in this series is do sort of opposite what Christians normally do. We normally uh, want to make sure we know uh, how other people are wrong and we are right. <laughs> Uh, we would rather uh, look at the values of a spiritual but not religious person and then honor those values, uh, see what's beautiful with them, and then explore how they intersect uh, with our faith tradition as we follow Jesus. Because here's the reality. Uh, believe it or not, Christianity is a spiritual endeavor, right? And some of you guys grew up maybe Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, I don't know what your background was, and it was all about the rituals or maybe the intellect, and sometimes we can forget that this is a spiritual journey and endeavor. In fact, uh, right at the beginning of the Bible, we hear this in the, this story that's told about creation, Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. So we see flesh and blood, and dust. That's a piece of it. But then this happens. Uh, then the Lord God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, a spirit. Uh, we are flesh and blood, but then we have spirit. And the man became a living creature. And so it's important to remember that this is what we're pursuing as we pursue Christ, as we pursue Christianity, is a spiritual endeavor. And so we want to honor uh, these values uh, that people are craving and looking for. And the, the value we're going to look at tonight is mindfulness. How many of you guys have heard of mindfulness? Yeah, everybody? Okay, cool. Uh, mindfulness is huge now, and so we're going to explore that a little bit. To start our conversation about mindfulness, though, I want to tell you about a story of when I was drugged in Arizona, okay? Uh, bear with me here. So years ago, I was on a mission trip to Mexico. Great trip. The last night 
of the trip, we crossed the border into our partner church's town in Arizona, and we spent that night eating some amazing tamales and uh, having some amazing worship in this old church of this, uh, this Arizona church. And so after uh, I ate tons of tamales and we sang tons of worship songs, uh, we went to bed, and there were, weren't enough beds in the room, so a leader and myself, we volunteered to sleep in this old church sanctuary. Now, if you've ever been in an old church sanctuary at night, it's terrifying. Uh, my grandpa was a preacher, and we would go into his churches at night and play hide-and-seek, and he positively ran into ghosts all the time. Uh, some good, some bad, I don't know. Uh, so that night, it was creepy already. We were sleeping on the pews, and about 2 a.m., I started feeling a presence within me. And I was like, oh, I sort of expected this. I wonder what kind of spirit this is. And then uh, I started noticing even a, a more of a rumbling in my stomach. I realized this, this is a spirit of food poisoning. Uh, this is a spirit of bad tamales. And so I immediately got up. I tried to run to the bathroom, but I didn't make it. And I vomited in the Lord's house all over these pews. And my buddy, who was a leader, he woke up and he's like, bro, did you just vomit in church? <laughs> I was like, yes, I did, and you're not helping the situation. I tried to make it out. I, I threw up again in the church. Uh, by the time uh, the morning had come around, my buddy and I, uh, we counted. I had uh, vomited 20 times, okay? It was horrible. It was horrible. So there was a nurse who had come to the trip with us who was a leader. While we were in Mexico, she had purchased some special kind of medicine that you can't buy in the States because it's not uh, approved by the FDA. <laughs> and so she tells me, being a nurse, I trust her, of course, uh, she was like, take this pill. Uh, this will help you uh, on your flight back to Oklahoma. So I take this non-FDA approved pill uh, on her word, and the next thing I know, I'm in a church van on the way to the airport. And then I close my eyes, and I'm in the airport, and I hear something about the flight being delayed. Then the next thing I know, I open my eyes, and I'm in a car, and I don't know the person who's driving the car. This is no joke. I really did. Next thing I know, I open my eyes, and I'm in, I assume, this person's house that I've never met on a bed, and I turn over, and there's another leader from our group in bed with me, and I look at him. Uh, the, the covers were down. Don't get weird. Uh, and I turn to him, and I, with, I open my eyes, and with all the energy I can muster, I said to him, do you know where we are? <laughs> and with all the energy he can muster, he said, no. <laughs> Next thing I know, I open my eyes, and we're in the airport terminal, and people are carrying me. You know, they're like helping me. They help me get through the security line. I open my eyes, I'm on the plane. I open my eyes, and I'm finally back home. It was terrifying. It was crazy. I, I felt like I was a zombie uh, walking. I felt like I was numb to everything around me. And tonight, today, many of us are going through our lives uh, like a zombie. We walk through life like we are numb. We are missing it. Uh, 
Now, here's, here's the thing I know about pretty much everyone in this room. I know two things about us tonight. The first thing is, everyone in this room wants to savor life. We want to live a full life of adventure and enjoyment and relationships. Uh, when we get to the end of our life, we want to be able to say, man, I live this life to the full. But the second thing I know about every person in here is we have a problem. We have a problem. We are inundated by messages and distractions and anxieties and fears and job pressures and job performances and expectations of others. And because of all of this, our minds are pulled apart and we end up missing it. We end up missing this life as we're pulled in every direction. Uh, there's a Greek word in the New Testament that's the root word of anxiety that's used, anxiousness that's used in the New Testament. It's merimna or merimnaho, and it literally means to be pulled apart. And that's what happens when we're anxious, right? Because I'm, my body is here, but my mind is somewhere else. I'm thinking about the future concerns I have. I'm thinking about my past regrets. So we're being pulled apart. So it totally makes sense to me that mindfulness would be growing massively in popularity in our culture because we need it. We are desperate for our minds to be whole and complete and not be pulled in every direction. And it's getting super popular. It's on magazine covers. There's a Time magazine cover I saw recently, Mindful Revolution. You might have seen an article recently about Steve Jobs. Uh, he donated his brain to science and uh, Steve Jobs, a big-time practicer of meditation. And when he, uh, they studied his brain recently, he had died in his 50s, uh, but they said his brain was uh, like at the age of a 26-year-old. And they attributed that to his practice of meditation and mindfulness. This is everywhere uh, around us right now, and I think it's because we're all desperate for it. Now, uh, Mark Mornici, when we first started talking about maybe this this conversation, he made a great point. This is a pretty abstract and general term, mindfulness. So I want to give you sort of a working definition for tonight. It's from the UC Berkeley. Go Bears? Okay, I don't know. I don't really care, but you guys seem like you do. Okay, uh, so they say this. This is a pretty simple definition. I think it's helpful. Mindfulness means maintaining a moment-by-moment -moment awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, bodily sensations and surrounding environment through a gentle, nurturing lens. I think we could even shorten that for our purposes down to a moment-by-moment -moment awareness. And when we talked about earlier about wanting to honor these values, man, I can get behind that. A moment-by-moment -moment awareness. Scripture talks a lot about awareness, not looking too far in the future or the past, but being present in the moment. And so tonight I want to look at one story in scripture that I think really teaches us about awareness. It's a story uh, that's often called the road to Emmaus. And so if you have your Bible with me or with you, uh, you can turn to Luke 24 and we're going to journey with these guys as we think about awareness and mindfulness. So a little backstory here. Uh, these were two guys that lived in a town called Emmaus, surrounding town of uh, Jerusalem. 
And uh, they had heard this message about Jesus, and they were captivated and compelled, so much so that they decided to leave their life in Emmaus and go to follow this man, Jesus. But when they get there, uh, the worst has happened. This Jesus has been killed and crucified. The revolution was over. The hope was lost. And so uh, the scene we're about to look at, we see these two men who are walking on this road, and they are downtrodden. Uh, They are worried. They're anxious because they've just given up everything for what seems to be a loss. And so this is when we join in. This is Luke 24, verse 13. So the very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And here we see early on, Luke is not the best storyteller because uh, he spoils it right there. Like, I'm like, dude, you should have just said like a stranger drew near them and then reveal it later. But he did it. So it's, it's the Bible. Uh, <laughs> Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is key. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So uh, what we see next is they start talking to this man, and they start telling him all that's happened about this Jesus, how we followed him, he was crucified. Uh, Some have said there's rumors that he might be alive, uh, not realizing the whole time they're telling the story that he is right in front of him. He's with him the whole time. So let's continue. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as as if he wanted to go farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And here it is. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. That's a pretty cool move to pull off. And they said this phrase that I love, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? Their eyes were open. This whole time, uh, their bodies were there with Jesus, but their minds were somewhere else. They were thinking about their frets, their worries, their concerns, their frustrations, and in the middle of that, they missed it. They missed it. And I wonder how many of us are missing this reality in our lives. This reality that Jesus is with us. He's on the road right beside us, uh, but we can't see him because we aren't opening our eyes. Oftentimes in the church world, we'll pray a phrase or maybe sing a phrase, something like, come Holy Spirit or come down God, come here Uh, When the reality is that's the wrong prayer, we should be praying the prayer, open my eyes because you're already here. There's some fancy theological terms. Uh, One of them is divine eminence. The other one is omnipresence. And it's just talking about this reality that God is with us always. He's around us. He walks the road with us. So we don't have to ask him to come here in this room. He is present. What we have to ask is, would you open my eyes? Help me to see. He's with you uh, in your job. When you're having a frustrating meeting with your coworker or your boss, he sits right beside you. When you're in traffic 
and someone just cut you off. He's sitting right there with you. He's near. So we have to pray that he would open our eyes, help us become aware of his presence, to be mindful of the fact that he's all around us. So the rest of our time is going to be pretty simple. I want to talk through a few ways that we can ask God to open our eyes in our world today because that's the prayer we need to be praying. So we're going to look at uh, like basically three concentric circles. I know it's always an adventure when I draw on the whiteboard. That's part of why I like it. It's, a, it's like uh, skydiving or something. Who knows what's going to happen? Okay, so uh, I want to look at sort of like three concentric circles. Doing good, all right. Doing good so far. Uh, yes, uh, I just got to remember how to spell it. Okay, here we go. So the first concentric circle is we have to be aware of our inmost being. Uh, inmost being is not a phrase that we would often use, but it is used in the Psalms. Uh, it's used in the Old Testament. Inmost being, I like that phrase because it can sort of entail uh, all that's in here, like our soul, uh, but also our feelings and our motivations and our desires and our frustrations and our will. Uh, so we have to be aware of our inmost being. Uh, I want to talk about the inmost being by first looking at this little cheap drone. Uh, there's, there's a lady that works at our church. Her name's Nancy, and she, I think she's in her 60s. And she bought these cheap drones from some, uh, she said it, she saw it on a pop-up ad on the internet. <laughs> and she bought one for Mark and one for me. And uh, can I show you real quick what it's like? Okay, it's sort of cool. You have to keep your hand under it. You guys try it. Go that way. Yeah. Okay. So we're just going to keep that going the rest of the service. <laughs> Not distracting at all. Okay, someone sent it my way. Send it. There's a metaphor in here for the Holy Spirit. I'm just, it's coming to me. Okay, someone grab it when you get a chance. It's really okay. I wanted it to be distracting. Danny! Thank you. So, uh, so uh, they're really fun. I brought these home to my kids. I stole Mark's, and I brought both of them home. <laughs> I took them home, and, uh, man, my kids were having a great time. I have a little clip, real clip, uh, real quick clip. Let's watch it. This is them playing with it. Just having the best time ever. So, great time, all, go, all is going well, I'm the best dad ever, and then I look over at my daughter, and I'm noticing that the drone is just sort of stuck around her head, and then I hear her go, Daddy, 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 and I come over, I turn the lights on, and I go over to her head, and I try not to freak out, try to make, I just sort of laugh, but you can't really see, there's four different blades in this thing. Every single blade was wrapped up, her hair was just tangled all in this. And so, again, I'm just like, ha ha, this is, this is fun. And <laughs> she's like, and she did good. She didn't cry. Uh, it took us probably 30 minutes just to get all his hair out. 
and eventually we had to cut some of her hair. I felt horrible. I felt horrible. And something I've learned about being the father of a daughter that I never knew, because I've always had short hair, is how, uh, how insane her hair is and how hard it is to uh, like keep uh, care of. Like She'll take a bath, I'll wash her hair, and then just trying to get the tangles out. She's constantly like, Daddy, that, no, you're doing it wrong. Mommy does it better. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is the reality. Uh, when I was been, th- I've been thinking about this metaphor of like the tangled uh, web of our inmost being. This is the reality that as we go through life, if we're not careful, this stuff in our inmost being, our feelings, our motivations, our fears, our jealousies, uh, they become a tangled web, uh, and we don't know how to unravel them. For many of us, we go through life and then we'll hit a, a situation where we blow up on a coworker and we're like, where did that come from? Uh, or we'll be in traffic and someone cuts us off and we just go crazy. And the reality is it's not about that actual moment, right? There's something deeper going on. This is years and years, a tangled web in our inmost being, and we have to become aware of this. This is part of what being mindful means. Uh, We have to ask God to search our hearts, to know us, and to show us what's going on. Uh, If we don't, uh, it'll get more tangled, more tangled, and we'll feel those pressures. We'll feel the pull of our culture and our society. And so the simple prayer that we need to ask God when it comes to this one is God, open my eyes to the tangled web inside. Open my eyes to the tangled web inside. Now, there's, a, there's practices, there's things we can do. Uh, this requires processing what's happening. Not just the uh, external, but digging deep. Why am I acting this way? Why am I performing this way? This could be therapy. This could be uh, uh, being vulnerable with someone else. This could be journaling. A lot of different ways. But this is the first circle uh, we have to start with asking God to open my eyes to my inmost being. Now, the second concentric circle would be others. Nailed it. Part of what makes uh, the Christian approach to mindfulness a little different is our desire for awareness and mindfulness doesn't come from uh, just wanting to be transcendent or feel good about ourselves. It's, it comes from a sacrificial desire because this is who Jesus was. He gave us the lesson that he gave his life for others. Uh, our kind of mindfulness has to be aware of those around us. Uh, I was at uh, dinner one night. I think I told you guys this story one time, but I was at dinner, and my two-year-old son at the time, uh, he looked at me, and he gave me a quizzical look, and he said, Daddy, are you here? And I was like, oh, (laughs) he's the chosen one. I was like, he is some kind of monk or like a spiritual guru. I I couldn't answer the question. I'm like, am I here? Does he mean like existence or consciousness? I don't know if I'm here or not. Uh, But I kept exploring. I'll ask my question all the time when I'm with others, especially my kids and my wife. 
And I'll just say, are you here? Because so many times they'll be talking to me and they'll want to play with me, but I'm not here. I'm somewhere else. I'm thinking about something at work that's stressing me out. Or I'm thinking about some pandemic that's running around. And they're right in front of me. And I have this short time with them. Uh, Are you here? There's a story that scripture talks about. Jesus is with uh, some children. And the disciples... They're bodily, they're here with Jesus, but their minds are elsewhere. They're thinking about the importance of Jesus. They're thinking about what they have to do next in their disciple world. And so they go up to the kids, they go up to Jesus, and like, we got to get these children out of here. You got important things to do. And Jesus says, uh, this is the most important thing right here. Why? Because Jesus was fully present. He was aware of the most unseen and unheard Because children in those days aren't like children now, uh, where a dad would spend hundreds of dollars to take his kids to Disneyland this week uh, just so they could have fun. Children then were sort of lower on the totem pole. They were unseen, unheard. Jesus was always aware of the unseen and the unheard. So are there people at your job that you're unaware of? Are there people that you walk past, uh, because you, your mind is on something way more important, on your own stuff. Are you aware of the unseen, unheard in your life? And so the prayer here is simple, open my eyes to the unseen and the unheard, because they're all around, they're in this room, Uh, they're in your family. Open my eyes to the unseen and the unheard. And then the final one, It's all in good? Okay. Thank you. One clap. Uh, (laughs) The final would be aware of his kingdom all around us. This reality that the kingdom is all around us. I grew up in a tradition uh, where we would have hymns that we'd sing. And one of these hymns was, uh, When We All Get to Heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. Okay, still remember it. Um, In this tradition, oftentimes heaven uh, was this goal. That's when everything would be victorious. That's what we're waiting for. Uh, Our bodies were here on this earth, in this flesh and blood reality, but our minds, they were way out there in heaven one day. Uh, That's not what Jesus talked about. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is with you. It's in you. Uh, It's all around us. One of our favorite theologians at our church, Dallas Willard, says it like this. In and through the person of Jesus himself, the government or kingdom of God from the heavens was now available to everyone. Uh, Heaven, we have seen, is right now, right here, around our bodies, It's interesting. Hovering beside our heads, just like that drone was hovering beside our heads. See, I told you I'd make it a metaphor. (laughs) In him, we live and move and have our being. Eternity is not something waiting to happen, something that will commence later. It is now here. Time runs its course 
within eternity. Eternity is in session right now. Uh, the kingdom of God is available to you right now. It's hovering around your head. Uh, not when you die, right now. But you have to open your eyes to it. And I'm curious, how would our lives change if we really believed that the king and his kingdom were with us in every moment? Uh, a tiny little humble brag right here. Uh, as part of a church little skit we did one time, I got to hang out with and uh, sing some songs with Condoleezza Rice at one point. And before Condoleezza was getting into the car, you better believe I had everything spotless. I had everything prepared that I would say. And every moment I interacted with her, uh, I was just so like, I was like very aware that Condoleezza Rice was with me. Uh, how would it change if you believe that Jesus and his kingdom were with you in your interactions, at your workplace, at night when you're alone, the way you make decisions and actions? What if you could believe that he was with you, hovering around your head? Uh, so the prayer is simple here. We have to ask God to open our eyes to the kingdom that is all around us. Not one day, now, in Silicon Valley. Uh, later this week, uh, Mark and I are going to sort of break down a little more what it looks like to make the kingdom uh, around us more practical in our lives on our podcast. So watch that. Listen to that. What is a podcast? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just playing into the old man Hindi thing. So sort of in like this, um, there was a movie that's sort of a classic in the Hendrix household you may, may have not seen. It's called Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, yeah. Uh, in this movie, Bill Murray, comedic genius, uh, he basically gets trapped in this loop, uh, sort of this magical curse, where he has to relive the same day over and over again, same interactions, same uh, decisions, same town. And so it's interesting, throughout the movie, he takes different courses of action. The first thing he sort of tries is uh, he, he just indulges himself. Uh, he's like, well, I'm going to be here. I'm just going to die tomorrow anyways and be back, so I'm just going to indulge. So he just eats tons of junk food, has a lot of sex. He just uh, really tries to pleasure himself, uh, and, and it doesn't really work. The next strategy is sort of... Uh, uh, embracing the darkness and depression that he was dealing with, the frustration. Uh, so he basically comes up with different ways to uh, commit suicide and then wake up the next morning. It's pretty dark, actually. Um, and then over time, you see a transformation. At some point, uh, he has this realization that he's actually been given a little bit of a gift, that he has a whole day that he can uh, make perfect in that he can spend every moment to the full. So he starts uh, giving his entire day to just being present. Uh, he starts helping people in the moment. He becomes aware of those around him. He starts learning how to play the piano. He starts, uh, uh, he, he saves several people's lives. He just goes around and every single moment in this day is just packed with meaning and fulfillment. And by the end of that day, you know, he breaks the curse, right? I wonder how many of us are living a groundhog day. We wake up, we take our commute, 
We go to work. We do the widgets. We make the algorithms. And we come home. And then our anxieties, our frustrations make us want to numb ourselves. So we use entertainment, Netflix. We use alcohol. We use uh, distractions. And we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves. And we start the day over again. It's Groundhog Day. Same thing, same thing, and we're missing it. The beauty, the joy, the life available every moment. Our bodies are here in Silicon Valley, but our minds are everywhere else. May we be more mindful of the presence of Jesus in his kingdom available at every moment. So I love to close in this way. Uh, one of the most common practices in mindfulness is meditation. And maybe you think meditation is some kind of Eastern uh, hippie, like frou-frou kind of thing. Uh, meditation is an ancient practice. Uh, actually, uh, one of the meditations can be traced back 2,000 years to some monks and some nuns uh, who said this Jesus prayer as a mantra, as a meditation. And often scripture talks about meditation in Psalms. We see this. Uh, where uh, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. Uh, my soul thirsts for you uh, like a parched land. One of the beautiful things about meditation is it takes our mind that's wandering out there, pulled apart, and we practice bringing it right here in the moment. While God is near, he's here with us. And so I want to invite us to actually enter into this practice together. It's not going to be very long. I encourage you to try that on your own with God uh, at a different time. But I want to spend a couple of minutes uh, in silence. I want to give you a chance uh, to breathe and be near God in this moment. And so I invite you to close your eyes. Vange is just going to play a little pad underneath. And, and I'm going to read uh, a psalm to you. And I'm going to read it a few times. I'm going to read it slow. And here's my encouragement to you. Uh, my challenge to you is utilize this moment. As your mind wanders to uh, go into the Dutch goose afterwards or what you got to do at work tomorrow, uh, slowly bring it back to the present moment and hear these words uh, straight from Scripture. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Let's take some moments just to breathe, be near God, and I'm going to read that again. Where can I go from your spirit? 
where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. in this moment, I ask that you would still our hearts, still our minds. All the anxieties and worries, expectations and motivations, help us lay them down at your feet. Help us remember that you are with us. There's no place we can go where you are not there. Your spirit is there. We're in your presence. So Father, help us believe tonight, even when we don't feel it, you're working. Even when we don't see it, that you're working. Through you, uh, we move and have our being. You're the divine creator. You're the author, perfecter of our faith. So help us breathe deep to lay everything at your feet. Father, as we continue to worship, as we continue to sing, remind us uh, that you are near, that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.